I want to welcome you to uh, the Shepherds Conference and to our breakout sessions this afternoon. And uh, my name is Alex Montoya, and it's a joy for me to be here and share in this special seminar to encourage us in the matter of preaching the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Let's open our session in prayer, and then we'll get into our, our seminar. Lord, thank you for all these men that have come from all different parts of the, of the nation, of the world. Thank you for this venue that we have to energize, to encourage, to, strength, to strengthen our devotion to you and to the ministry. Thank you for the love we have for each other and for you. We want to thank you for this session today that you might take your word and encourage us. Thank you for the gospel and for saving us from our sins. Thank you for loving us and giving your Son to be our Savior. Now, Lord, we entrust ourselves to you that you might take your word and strengthen us and give us a, a passion to win the loss for Christ. We ask all these things now for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Show me your Bibles, iPads. All right, open to first, first Corinthians chapter 1, please. Chapter 1 of First Corinthians. We're talking about preaching the gospel with conviction. That's the theme for the morning. And I've chosen to take our thoughts from the first chapter of Corinthians, chapters 1 and also part of chapter 2 as well. We uh, sense a, a deep need today for the preaching of the gospel. We have just been through one of the most uh, horrendous times in the history of our nation. Two years of shutting down ministry. Two years of, uh, for many of us, not even preaching face-to-face. Having to do so by means of television or um, Zooming, etc. In the process, in the process, we have had uh, thousands of churches close their doors. Uh, last year alone, 4,000 churches closed their doors and would never open again. And that is a great tragedy in the history of American church. We're not alone. All around the world, things are taking place. And so there's a need for us to be revitalized in our, in our ministries of not only, not only starting new churches, but making sure that our churches don't die. But most of all, that we would be concerned and involved in the preaching of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. This pandemic has dampened the zeal of many people. It has dampened the zeal of also many preachers. Four in ten, four in ten preachers in America are ready to quit the ministry. And that is, uh, I, I just don't quite understand that. When you're called of God to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ, how could you ever, ever uh, stop doing that? But it shows the impact that's been had. And... Uh, <clears throat> We as, we as preachers face challenges, and they're not unique. Challenges the early church also faced as they began to minister. When you begin to see the, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ as it, was, it started to grow, the book of Acts chapter 2, the church was born, and then almost as soon as it was born, things began to, began to go south. And so persecution or challenges stepped in. And the same challenges that we had, we have today uh, loss, for example, the loss of confidence in preaching that Christ is the only way, that Christ is the only way. Our Lord said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man, finish it, but through me. Christ is the only way. There is no other way. And that's why the apostles in, in chapter, chapter 4 in the book of Acts, when they were asked by what name, by what power, Are you doing what you're doing? And they responded, there is no other name given among men by which we must be saved. That is the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. But we have preachers that are losing losing that confidence, afraid to say that Jesus is the only way. We've had had, uh, known preachers get on television and when asked, is Christ is the only way, they hem and they haw, and not really willing to make the statement. And sometimes we're tempted to do the same thing. Christ is the only way. The denial of conversion. The apostles were told not to preach, not to preach Christ. They were told to shut up and not not be involved in in converting people to Christ. 
And the apostles responded by saying, we must obey God rather than who? Than man. We serve God. We must obey God. And so the sense where we need to preach, preach Christ and preach for the conversion, conversion of souls. And that's why the apostles delighted in not only in the temple, but from house to house. They did not cease to preach Jesus as the Christ. They were, they were aflame with the gospel of Christ. The early church was very quickly tempted with the misplacing the priority of the preaching of the gospel by the sixth chapter of Acts. Christ is developed. The temptation for the disciples, the apostles, to stop preaching the gospel, evangelizing, and settle down into remedying and rectifying the problems in the local church. And they resolve the issue by saying, no, we must, be a, we must devote ourselves to prayer and the preaching of the word. Understand that in the book of Acts, chapter 6, the preaching of the word is the preaching of the gospel. It's not necessarily exposition as it is preaching of the gospel. Under mandate, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, to preach the gospel of Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the remotest parts of the earth. And so we, like them, we face the same challenges. We're, uh, we're, we're told not to, uh, not to. I recall when I came, came to our church, and uh, we had a church of 40, 40 people. And uh, we began with that, and I began preaching Christ, preaching the gospel. And every Sunday, every Sunday, giving, giving the gospel with an invitation. And I recall was one Saturday working out in the parking lot, and when you only have 40 people, you do everything including painting the bumper stops on the parking lot, you know. And as they were painting the bumper, and our deacon came and said, looked, I was on my knees, and he looked at me and said, Montoya, Pastor Montoya, I think you're preaching too much gospel. I think you're preaching too much gospel. And so I just looked at him, and, you know, the Word of God says, don't answer a fool according to his folly. <clears throat> and so I said nothing. And, but my thought, we're 40 people. We're 40 people. We're in the world of paganism in East L.A. And you we're too much gospel. <laughs> Not at all. See, so we have that temptation of mis- misplacing our priorities. And so we, we need to recapture you know, the, the apostolic conviction of preaching Jesus Christ and him crucified. And that's why this text in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 is so powerful. Look at verse 18 with me. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are being, for those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Whereas a debater of the age has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world. For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God, God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For indeed, Jews asked for signs, but Greeks searched for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block and to Gentiles foolishness, but to those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, <clears throat> and the weakness of God is stronger than men. But consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. And the base things of the world and the despised God has chosen, the things that are not, that he might nullify the things that are, so that no man may boast before God. For by his doing you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, that him who boasts, boasts in the Lord. Now when I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superior of speech or the wisdom proclaiming to you the testimony of God. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but rest on the what? On the power of God. 
I want to identify three key factors. If we're going to have, be able to preach the gospel with great conviction, I'd like to identify three important factors when it comes to preaching of the gospel. And they are, they are, they're going to be laid on the surface here. First of all, we need to preach the plan of the gospel as it is outlined in the scriptures. We need to preach the plan of the gospel as it is outlined in the scriptures. Now we know that in the 15th chapter, go to chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, the apostle here in affirming and in arguing for the resurrection of Christ or simply the resurrection, he says, Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and which also you stand, by which you are saved if you hold fast the word which I preached to you unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, A, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve, and that he appeared to more than five hundred at one time, most of whom remain until now, but now, but some have fallen asleep. We need to understand that we need to preach the plan of the gospel. Now, gentlemen, not all preaching is gospel preaching. Understand that. We sometimes, we sometimes say, well, I, I preach the gospel. You may be preaching the word, but not always preaching the gospel. There's a distinction. The word encompasses all, all the full counsel of God, encompasses all 66 books of the Bible. But the gospel is very focused and very specific. It is that plan of redemption, that plan of redemption that, that, that Paul identifies here in this passage. And that's, we, need to, we need to understand and get back to that and recognize that if we are going to be called gospel preachers, then we need to be gospel preachers. Some of us preach the word, but we don't preach the gospel. We preach the word, but we don't preach the gospel. Imagine, imagine you taking your father to hear your preacher on Sunday. Your father is an unsaved man. He's an unsaved man. He's hardened. And he, you invite him to church for him to come and to sit. And you want that morning for him to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And your preacher opens a text and he reads scripture. And he talks about things that Christians should do and Christians ought to do. And he unfolds a great truth, but he never preaches the gospel. So your father hears and listens and never hears the gospel. Never, never hears how he can come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Because a preacher never preached the gospel. Now let me ask you, did he preach the word? Yes. Talk to me now. Yes. But did he preach the gospel? No. See, that's the problem, gentlemen. That's the problem. We need to understand that in our preaching, we need to be focusing and have a very clear presentation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. To preach the gospel with conviction... We narrow it. We narrow it to what the plan of the gospel is. And it involves, it involves, for example, it involves this identifying the person of the Lord Jesus Christ and who he is. It identify who Christ is. You know, Romans 10, 9 and 10. If you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe that God raised him from the dead, you shall be what? You shall be saved. So the, the, the person of Christ, when we talk about the gospel, we make very clear the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Titus chapter 2, verse 11 and following, where the apostle Paul talks about the, the coming, the appearing of the grace of God, he mentions right in the text where he, he, he focuses on the gospel, talking about this great God and Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. One of the great, one of the great texts that identifies that Jesus Christ is our great God and is our great Savior. To preach the gospel is to emphasize the divinity, the, the, the fact that our Lord Jesus Christ is fully God, fully God. And because he is fully God, he is also Lord. He is creator and Savior of the universe. That's who he is. And gospel preaching begins always with identifying the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't, if we don't talk about the right Christ, then we're talking about the wrong gospel. If we don't begin with the right Christ, we'll never end up with the right gospel. 
We need to always begin with the right Christ. And then the work of Christ, the work of Christ, where the Apostle Paul says here that Christ died for our sins. That is, that is a mouthful. And Christ died for our sins. That is gospel. That is good news. That Christ died for our sins, that implies by all means the incarnation of God. The incarnation of God, that our Lord Jesus Christ was not only fully God, he was also fully man. That our Lord is so unique that he is, he is 100% God and 100% man. And he became, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, dwelt among us. In the fullness of time, God sent forth his son. And so our Lord Jesus Christ came down and then he, he gave his life for us. Christ died for our sins. That Christ is our substitute. That the only, only way we could ever, ever find forgiveness of sins is for our Lord Jesus Christ to take our sins on the cross. And he died for us. He paid the price. This is why there's, there, there are no works. There's nothing we can do to bring salvation. Not, there's not an ounce of energy, not an ounce of work that we can do to remove our sins. It is all of Christ. It is all of Christ. And Christ died for our sins. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might be the righteousness of God in him. And so Jesus Christ took our sins on his body on the cross that we might die to sin and might live to righteousness. And so we emphasize always the death of Christ for our sins, that he is our substitute. And then the bodily resurrection, that Christ died and rose again from the dead, that Jesus Christ is alive now. He lives. He lives to prove his divinity. He rose again to prove our justification, that our sins have been forgiven, the death of Christ for our sins was fully accepted by the Father as payment in full for all of our sins. And so we, we talk about the work of Christ. And so we also emphasize the response of the gospel. All the great commissions, all the great commissions, Matthew 28, Mark 16, Luke 24, all of them imply the idea of going out and preaching Christ and inviting men and women to come to the Lord Jesus Christ. Acts 20, Acts 20, 21, Acts 20, 20, and 21, the, apostles lay, the, the Apostle Paul made it so clear. The gospel is the repentance from sin and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Repentance from sin and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. The message, the message includes calling men and women to repentance from sin. It is, as we say in the, old, in, the old, in the old country, you turn or you burn, one or the other. We preach repentance. Well, you know, uh, Montoya, does it mean I have to, I have to quit uh, living with my, with my girlfriend checking up? That and other things. <laughs> that and other things. Does it mean that I'm going to have to start coming to church? That and other things. Like giving some money too, and other things along those lines. I'm not going to, in other words, there has to be repentance. You need to see that your way is wrong and you're repenting and turning to Christ. But it's not your repentance that saves you. It's your faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Faith in the finished work of Christ. And so it's repentance from sin and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. There has to be. And when I was teaching preaching, I taught preaching here for a number of years. And some of you were in, in my, my class and and, and sometimes the, the, the preacher would end. We have 30-minute sermon. These are gospel preachers. These are John MacArthur clones. You know what I'm saying? These are, these are men that are committed to the preaching of the gospel. And I would say at the end of the sermon, so brother so-and-so, where is the blood? Where is the blood in your sermon? Oh, you gave the text. You expounded. You gave us the Greek. You gave us the Hebrew. Talked about theology. But where is the blood? There is no blood. There was no gospel in it. You never talked about the death of Christ for sins. Every text in scripture, no matter where you're at, Genesis, Leviticus, Proverbs, Psalms, Hezekiah, Malachi, 
Acts, every text in the Bible has the blood in it. And your job as an expositor is to find the blood. Find the blood. No matter what you preach on, there's always the blood. Every text in the Old Testament goes to the cross. Every text in the New Testament comes from the cross. There's blood everywhere. And if you can't find the blood, if you can't find the blood, then say, time out. Time out. Brothers and sisters, I was in Leviticus 28, and I couldn't find the blood. So let's turn to John 3.16. Are you with me now? See, you may be a great Bible teacher. You may be preaching the word. But when when you're all done, there is no gospel. There's There's not a sense of the conviction about preaching the gospel to lost people and bringing men and women and boys and girls to the saving knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I would say to you, unless you know every single person in your audience that you know 100% that they are truly born again and on their way to heaven, you may be excused from the preaching of the gospel. But as long as you know that there's one person in your audience that you're not quite sure that they are on their way to heaven, you need to park it. And find the blood in the text and then expound the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. The divinity of Christ, the incarnation of God, the simpleness of man, the inability of man to save himself that only Christ could ever save us. Repented from sin and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ and then draw the net and invite him to repent and give the hearts of the Lord Jesus Christ. If we're going to preach with conviction, my brothers, we need to... Understand what the plan of the gospel is. And never, never be fuzzy about it. Make it so clear. Make it so clear that when when your father and my father came to hear me preach. Illustration about bringing your father. He came to hear me preach. And I want to make sure that he heard the simple and plain truth of the saving work of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Preaching with conviction means to preach then the plan of the gospel. Number two. To preach with conviction means to believe in the power, believe in the power of the gospel. Believe in the power of the gospel. That's why chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians really begins to emphasize that. Listen, if we don't believe in the power of the gospel, we're not going to be preaching the gospel with conviction. You need to believe with all your heart and all your soul that the gospel of Jesus Christ has power, power to save. That's why the apostle in Romans chapter 1, the theme for our conference I am not ashamed of the what? Of the gospel. Because it is the what? Power of God unto salvation to all who believe. To the Jew first. And then to you guys. (laughs) See, it's not ashamed of the the power of the gospel. And so we, we, I take you back to chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians. Because this is what Paul brings to the table. You're going to preach with conviction. You're going to preach Jesus Christ and him crucified and emphasize the the power of the gospel of Christ. We need to believe in its power. Believe in its power. And I I, I fear that some of us do not believe in the actual power of the gospel. We give it lip service. Some of us used to believe in it, but we've kind of stopped. Other of us need a refresher course. Other of us just need to be reminded of the power of of the gospel. And Paul begins here by saying, first of all, the power to save. The power to save. Is there a heaven? Is there a hell? Yeah. Is there a heaven? Is there a hell? See, and so there's a sense that that we need to be saved from an eternal damnation in hell. And people need that, and that's where the gospel comes in. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not but have eternal life. And so believe in the power to save. And Paul then gets into this argument in chapter 1. We, if the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the what? The power of God. The power of God. Oh, beloved gentlemen, oh, my dear friends, to believe in the power of the, power of the gospel. It's not limited. 
You know, Paul gets into the argument with the Gentiles want this and the Jews want that. And all these people, different ways and different directions. Listen, the power of the gospel is not limited. Not limited by culture. And not limited by race. Not even limited by social standing. The power of the gospel affects everyone and anybody. That's the power of it. To know that, that we can preach Christ to everyone, Jews and Gentiles, to those that are highbrow and those that are lowbrow, to those that are here and to those that are there. He has the power, power to save, not limited by, by our culture, by, 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 by race, not limited by social standing, not even limited, not even limited by our, by our human inability. In chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians, he says, When I came to you, I came to you with trembling. I was fearful and much trembling. And Paul wanted, wanted to make it very clear, made it very clear that the preaching of the gospel, the saving of a soul, does not depend upon your charisma. It doesn't depend upon your methodology. It doesn't depend upon that. And we need to get that across so well. It doesn't, doesn't mean how clever you are or how persuasive you are. Or how articulate you are in your argumentation and all of that. Oh, we don't want to limit that. But it doesn't depend upon that. It depends simply on the power that's resident in the gospel. In the gospel. And Paul would say, I, I, I want, I came in demonstration of the spirit and the power so that your faith would not be on the wisdom of man, but on the power of God. So a true convert that comes to Christ under your ministry did so not because of you, but because of him. God did the work. He's the one that brought it all to pass. All to pass. We have a, in our church a, an evangelism program where we, we teach. We want every member in our church to know how to share the plan of the gospel. And so we take them through a class where they memorize the gospel. They memorize the plan. They memorize all the verses. So if they have no, if the lights are gone, and there are no lights, or they're outside in the dark, they can recite the gospel from memory. So this little brother was, was learning the outline, so he asked his mother, Mom, would you help me with my outline? I need to memorize it because tomorrow is my examination. And so he turned his back and he gave her the outline, and so he began to recite the outline began to talk about the questions of introduction, and went point by point by point with the text and with the gospel verses, memorized verbatim, and he got to the end, he said, is there any reason why you would not want to accept Christ as your Lord and Savior? And she said, no. And then he said, would you like to receive Christ right now? And she said, yes. And, she, and then he said, Mom, so how did I do? <laughs> oh, Oh, he said, you did fine. You did good. All the verses were there. Oh, thank you, Mom. Thank you so much. Now I'm ready for my class. And as he began to go, he, she said, son, what, Mom? I said, yes. Yes to what? <laughs> he had led his mom to Christ, practicing on the gospel. Let me ask you, is there power in the gospel? See, that's what I'm talking about. It's not in you, it's in, the, it's in the gospel, it's in the word, it's in the word. I say that because you don't, you don't have to have the eloquence of a Lawson or the presence of a MacArthur, you don't need to have that. It'd be good if you did, <laughs> but do you need it? But do you need it? No, no, the preaching of the gospel. That's what it's about, to preach the gospel. And so understand, we need to believe that the message itself, the message there is able to bring people to Christ. The power is in the gospel. That's why Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not talking about methodology. So we're all, we're all looking at new, whoa, we need new approaches. We need to do it this way. We need music and we need that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Listen. But if you don't have the gospel, you're done. If all you have is just the, the, the shell and not the kernel, you're done. If you have the kernel but no shell, you got the meat. Yes or no? Amen. And so, again, understand the power of the gospel. 
And it doesn't depend upon methodology. My father came to Christ. He came to Christ. Finally, after seven years of me doing everything I could, my, even my mom would play my tapes loud all over the house so she could hear them. And he just wouldn't. And Pastor Berg, I'm from Calexico, California, which is way down south there on the tip, southern tip of California, way down there. And uh, it's, like, it's, it's like so hot. It's like three feet from hell. You know what I'm saying? It's like, <laughs> and uh, 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 there was an American Baptist church there, and they sent a retired Baptist preacher down there, Pastor Berg. You see, when you get retired and they want to send you to no man's land, you go to Calexico. <laughs> and that's where he went. But Pastor Berg, oh, he knew the gospel. And every afternoon, once or twice a week, he'd come and sit with my dad, sit with him, and they would just sit there in the front porch, rocking and talking about old stuff. And things, and Mr. and Pastor Berg nailed him, put him on the hook, and then began to reel him in. This old barracuda, this old white shark, began to reel him in, and he led under Christ. Ooh. To me, Pastor Berg is the greatest preacher ever. Oh, Billy Graham is like a Twinkie compared to this one. Oh, oh no, man, this is because he's the biggest fish in town, and he nailed him. So preach the gospel, gentlemen. Preach the word. Include the gospel. The gospel also has power to enlighten. That's why chapter 2 talks about the fact that it's the gospel that opens our eyes. It opens so we understand the word. We can explain the word. And so it spoke about in chapter 2. talks about the fact that these people did not understand. The world does not understand. What we're talking about this, this, this afternoon, they have no, have not a clue what we're talking about. But once you come to Christ and you're born again, all of a sudden your eyes are enlightened. The scales fall off. Now you can see, understand what the word of God is. And you're able to explain the word of God to others and lead them to Christ. Just Sunday night I spoke to one of our sisters. She's blind. She comes to church, but she can already see. Oh, she'll walk right by me and I, unless I say, hermana, oh, pastor, you know. She don't recognize. But man, is she a soul winner. She may not see physically, but she can see spiritually. And she's bringing people to Christ and leads them to Christ because she's enlightened. She's able to see. And then you notice that by the sixth chapter, by the sixth chapter, by the way, in chapter 1, verse 30, chapter 1, verse 30, oh, but by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus. Christ is able to transform your life. The power not only to save, not only to enlighten, but also to transform your life. But by his doing, you are in Christ, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification, and what else? And redemption. And then you notice that in chapter 6, oh, I can take you to chapter 6, when he says in verse 11, and you know this text very, care, very well. You've been preaching on it for a number of years now. He says, yeah, don't be, don't be deceived. Neither fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, effeminate, homosexuals, thieves, covetous, drunkards, revilers, swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Hey, verse 11, but such were some of you. But you were what? But you were what? Sanctified. But you were what? Justified in the name of of our Lord Jesus Christ. People, the, 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 the power of the gospel is able to transform lives. As Colossians tells us, we're transferred from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. Like it says in this text, we were transferred from this state, this stuff here. And, and, and gentlemen, don't, don't fall for this stuff. You, well, you know, Montoya, you are, you're homophobic. You're homophobic. All you do is preach against homosexuals. Shut up. <laughs> shut, shut, shut up, you covetous swine. You drunkard. You reviler. You thief. You egotistic maniac. I'm not theophobic. I preach on against all types of sins. Talk to me now. It's in other words, but see, God transferred us out of that state into a glorious, glorious life. You know, people, I'm a, I'm a barrio preacher. You know, I, I travel 30 miles 
to a whole different world here. And barrio preacher. And the only thing, the only remedy for the barrio is this, friends. This is it. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. All the little funny programs the government wants us to buy into. You know, that's not what they need. They need the gospel of Christ that is able to transform a life. Transform a life. When my father came to Christ, he was a three-pack-a-day smoker. He was an alcoholic. Never went to church. And he came to Christ, and overnight he was transformed. He quit his three packs a day. Never drank another drunk, another another drop till the day he did. Till the he died, never. He went to church. He built, helped build the church. He was one of the greatest ushers you could ever have, because he would pass the plate. He wouldn't pass the plate. He would poke you until you put something in it, <laughs> and then he would pass it. That's my kind of usher. You know what I'm talking about. He's able to transform lives, to change lives. And we need to get back to that. We're always looking to, well, you know, our president and our Congress and our propositions. No, friend, friend, it's the gospel. It's the power of the gospel that's able to transform lives and make them brand new. And such were some of you, but now. And that's what excites you, to see Jesus Christ changing the lives of people. That's what keeps me motivated. Fired up to know that someplace out there, Christ is going to save a person and transform their lives. And so to preach with confidence, we need to, first of all, preach the plan of the gospel. Secondly, we need to believe in the power of the gospel. And thirdly, gentlemen, this, this afternoon, we need to Preach the priority of the gospel. The priority of the gospel. It's, it, it should move itself to the top. To the top. What happens to us sometimes is that we, we've taken gospel preaching as not our priority anymore. We've done other things with that. We've done other things. And it is not what we need to. It doesn't become the main focus in our lives. And the Apostle Paul here in chapters 1, 2, and 3 of 1 Corinthians does you and me a favor. He does us a favor because what he's doing to us, he's reminding us of the priority of the preaching of the gospel. And it's very subtle because you and I, even as we come to this shepherd's conference, we may lose it and, and not emphasize the priority of gospel preaching. For example, if we were to take this text apart, the priority of preaching above fame, above fame. The Apostle Paul begins by saying, I've heard from the household of Cleo that you guys have problems there. You're divided. Some of our Paul, some of Cephas, some of Apollos, some even of Christ. God did not send me to baptize. He didn't send me to start a denomination or start a a, a movement. He sent me to preach the gospel. Whoa. See, gentlemen, if we're not careful, we, we, that's not our goal. We, we want to preach to be known, not to make him known. Hmm. We want to preach to be famous, not to make him famous. We want to preach to become great expositors, not great evangelists. Now, I don't want to hear. Well, I'm going to tell you, you know, I'm just not a great evangelist like you. I'm just an expositor. Shut up. Because <laughs> you're not even a great expositor. got 14 people in your church and 10 are blind and two can't hear, you know? No. Well, you see, because you want to be famous. You want to be known. You want to build upon another man's foundation and not lay a foundation of, of, of converted souls to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's apostolic. So away with that excuse. 
preach to make him known, to preach Christ. We don't preach because we're, we're afraid sometimes. We're afraid of the preaching of the gospel. You know, people of God, I've, I've just about done it all. Taught in seminaries, preach to a great church. But I want to tell you with all honesty, the most difficult task in the ministry is the preaching of the gospel, of going out and meeting and winning people to Christ. That is the most difficult and terrifying task of all. Why is it that you got a church of 20 people, you're about to close the doors, and there you are, dwell taught. You, got a, you have your MDiv and maybe your THM and your McDLT, and, 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 and what? And your church is dying. Dying because you're afraid to get out and knock on doors. Well, you know, it doesn't work. It doesn't work because you don't do it well. You don't, it doesn't work because you don't do it as often. But see, your, the bottom line is that it's fearful to get out and knock on doors and preach Christ. And so Paul says, listen, we need to get, all, we need to get, to get past that. And Paul said, I came to you in fear and in trembling, and I did. Paul says, I was persecuted. And gentlemen, they just face up to it. It is a fearful thing. But let's get on with it anyway. We're fear of rejection by the church and of the world. We're, afe- we're afraid of being, being ridiculed. I mean, where I come from, I am a hellfire and brimstone preacher. That's that people know me as that. The unbelievers know me as that. Listen, the name of our church is like walking into a bank with a submachine gun. First Fundamental Bible Church. That's the name of the church. See, yours is the Church of the Rising Sun and Setting Moon. See? (laughs) What's that about? Well, we don't want to offend anybody, you know? (laughs) Fear of persecution. Fear of persecution. They're going to be persecuted. It's going to happen. And there's the greatest fear, fear of no response. No response. But preach the, preach the gospel and I give an invitation or I invite folks to come. Nobody responds and we're afraid of that. Oh, my dear friend, don't be afraid of that. Just stay faithful at the task. Because you're sowing seeds and you don't always see the results until much later on. Agreed? Yeah, so don't, don't always for the moment. Just sow the seed and preach the gospel. And let God do the rest. Oh, listen, listen. Declare the biblical message in its fullness with the power of the Spirit and leave the results to God. And don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. They'll get intimidated. And there's some folks around us that that's that's what they want to do. They want to intimidate you. But don't let anybody throw water on your zeal. Oh, listen, brother, you can't give an invitation at the, at the church because you're manipulating people, and you don't want to do that. So don't, don't be persuasive. Just, just, just. Really? Where'd you get that? Where'd you look? I mean, the Bible ends. The Bible ends. The bride says, come. The spirit says, come. Anyone who's thirsty, What? Come. Yeah. Don't be afraid to invite people. Don't be afraid to challenge them. Don't be afraid. Don't let anybody throw water on your evangelism. Don't be afraid. Oh, something else that will cause us to miss the priority is that sometimes, my dear friends, we, we, I'm talking to preachers now, and some of you want to be preachers. We, we're thinking comfort. We're thinking comfort. For us to take our churches where they need to go means we need to follow the example of the Apostle Paul in chapter 9 of 1 Corinthians. It's a powerful chapter. It's a church on finance, but it's really a chapter on finance, but it's really this. He says, you know what? No. I'm not here for comfort. I'm not here for funds. I'm not here for things like that. I'm here to present Christ and Him crucified. And that's why... 
That's why some of us don't go into gospel preaching. We, we're looking for well-paid ministries and not gospel preaching. We're afraid of poverty. We're afraid of poverty. We're making that what hinders our preaching of the gospel. Why don't we plant churches? America needs churches. America needs churches. Why don't we plant them? Why can't we find church planters? Because they're afraid of poverty. They're afraid of starting from scratch. They're afraid of not having a comfort. Why don't we have pastors go after small churches? There are churches all over the country that need, church, that need pastors. We're afraid of them. Why? Because they're weak and they're small. Now, we don't want small churches. We want big churches. Well, friend, that's where they need you. And let me say to you, gospel preacher, if, you are a, if you're a man worth your salt, if you have your degree from a seminary, from someplace, you know, it's, it's, it's no big thing for you to take a small church and build it. You can do it. If you can't do it, then you're not qualified. You're not qualified. Don't be afraid of a small church. I took one that was 40, 40, 40 people that voted, and one voted against me, 39-4 and one against. God punished her. <laughs> she was the last one left in church. I buried her. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. We, we, we don't want to rock the boat. We, we don't want to rock the boat. We don't want to make preaching the gospel such a, we don't want to mess anybody up. Oh, listen, people, listen, listen. Don't, don't be afraid. Why are you afraid? It's not about the comforts. It's about winning people to Christ, going out and doing what you have to do. I would preach. If they didn't pay me, I would pay to preach. That's how much I love to preach. When I was ordained to the ministry, Dr. Thomas, professor of Greek here, the man on Greek, I never knew that he was like a tyrant. You know what I'm saying? I never knew that he was such a... And so when I came to my examination ordination, I asked him to examine me in New Testament. And that's what he did. But then he asked me a question. He said, Montoya, Pastor Montoya, I was Montoya, if we didn't ordain you, what would you do? What would you do? I'd say, Dr. Thomas, I would still preach the gospel. I would still do it. I don't need to be a pastor. I can still preach the gospel. And gentlemen, may I add one, one other thought here, or one other thought. Listen, make it the priority. Don't let your, and Paul ends in chapter 9, talking about these freedoms, these freedoms. He says, don't let your freedoms hinder you from the preaching of the gospel. Get, a, get, get above that. Get above that. Don't let... Race and culture. The gospel's colorblind. We are changing society here. We are in demographic shifts everywhere. And when your community turns brown, white, yellow, red, whatever it turns, they also need Christ. Talk to me now. And that's not a time for you to leave. It's a time for you to reach them for Christ and win them to the Lord. Talk to me now. See, that's what it means. Some of us are so, we only see our color. We only see brown. We only see white. We only see yellow. We only see our kind. Oh, no, friend. The gospel is colorblind. Colorblind. My philosophy is if it looks human, evangelize it. <laughs> and don't let your traditions get the best of you. So, so we're so conditioned by stuff. Oh, no. Oh, no. You know, unless they have certain kinds of music, uh, unless we do church a certain way. Uh, well, you know, we have H.B. Charles preaching here. And H.B. Charles, he just, he's like a lizard. He's like a, he just accommodates himself. He's a great preacher, but he accommodates. When he comes here, he turns white. <laughs> he does, right? He does. I've been to his church in Florida. I was there. And like he, he was like black. <laughs> yeah, he was like black. And we were like, we had, we had standing, you know. People would stand. He got to the close of the sermon. He began to sing. Try that one for a Try that one at your church sometime. 
he began to sing. He sang the conclusion. Long conclusion. Long song. I said, they do it in black churches. Don't be afraid, my dear friend. Don't let your little peculiarities get in the way of stuff. Oh, yeah. Preach Christ. And don't let anything hinder you from that. Always stay on the focus. The main thing, the main thing, the priority of the gospel. One day I got to the, I got to the, to my pulpit. And somebody had written on a blank piece of paper, a blank piece of paper, preach the gospel. Put it on on my pulpit, preach the gospel. I got provoked. (laughs) Who's criticizing me? Who is that low down, half in, half out, boneless, spineless, snake in the grass? And it was the sound man, the sound man. He said, Pastor, you have not been preaching the gospel. There's no gospel. There's no call. There's no appeal. You have not been preaching the gospel. And he was so right. Because even though you may know it, you may not even... Do it. And I was so convicted by that that my own son, man, would have to say to me, You're the man. Hmm? Oh. Gentlemen, gentlemen, let's be like that old English preacher who got on his knees and he said, Oh God, oh God. Give me souls or I die. Give me souls or I die. Let's pray. Our Lord, thank you. That is our prayer, Lord, as we are here this afternoon. There's so many lost people around us in this world. We have family, friends, folks in our church, our communities who need Christ. Make us all here gospel preachers, laymen and preachers alike. Remind us of your love for souls and our love for souls. We thank you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.